Yeah, so this is... These are our students. Hello. Uh, these are our students that we got up here. We got Graham on Flamethrower. We've got Stella and Charlotte and Abby who are going to be doing some readings with us. And then George is going to close us out with, with the prayer today. Um, so, Stella, go ahead and start us with our first verses. First Peter 2, 1 through 10. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected had become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, as they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who call you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 1 John 4, 7-18 through 18. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he is in us, because he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so, also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Isaiah 44, 1-5 But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's, another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. And we're going to light the Advent candles. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our joy. 
And then today we light the fourth Advent candle, the candle of love. May its glow warm us and fill us as we reflect upon God's greatest gift of love, the gift of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we were thinking about um, in student ministry love this Christmas season, um, I see it in my leaders uh, every single week um, as they're walking alongside students in life. Um, one example of that was we had a student this fall who's, who suffered a significant death in their family. Um, and um, our leaders stepped up to the plate and just showed and modeled Christ's love in that situation by giving so many meals for weeks on end to this family, frozen meals, hot meals, prayer with the family, um, just to continue to show and model how Christ loves us in the midst of some of our hardest of circumstances. He sees us, and I loved seeing our leaders model that kind of love um, to our students um, this fall. George, do you want to close us in prayer? Let's pray. Loving Father, you have blessed us with joy and care in this life. Give us opportunities this week to sit and reflect on your love towards us, that we may truly love others, walking in the way you have demonstrated. As we give each other gifts this Christmas, may we remember that no gift could compare with your wonderful gift of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for demonstrating your love to us by sending us your Son to save us from our sins. Help us to love one another as you have loved us. Amen. Nice job, Adam. Crushed it. Nice job. Crushed it again. Well done. Smile, George. <laughs> nice job, Pete. Oh, man. It's good stuff. I just want George to show that beaming smile that he has that we know, that we all know and love. Well done, George. Well done. <laughs> oh, man. Good morning, Hillcrest family. It's so good to see you guys. My name is David. I love, love being one of the pastors around here. It is an absolute uh, privilege and delight. Um, and, uh, and I hope you got a chance uh, to snap a photo uh, with your friends or family with your ugly sweater. Uh, and, and I'm really encouraged. This is, I know, where there's growth taking place. None of you are wearing a Viking sweater as an ugly sweater. So thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking that as growth in all of your lives and God's transformation. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and, and we're excited. What's happening next Sunday? Christmas Eve is upon us, that God became man and dwelt among us. And so we get to celebrate that reality. Uh, every Sunday, it, we, I, am primarily uh, thinking of the church. We, we long to help people see God more clearly and then equip us as we go to our Monday to Saturday. There are two Sunday gatherings every year where I am no longer thinking of you, uh, but I'm thinking of those who are, uh, are Christ-curious or who might be uh, still exploring who Jesus is. And so we will be thinking primarily of them, uh, one at Easter and then also at Christmas. And so would love to see you at 9, 1030, uh, 1 o'clock or 2.30 in the afternoon, maybe after the kid has had a nap and you want to have a festivity after the brunch and a little afternoon low. We'd love to see you. Uh, kids, I think, are both at the 9 and the 2.30 gatherings for the littles. Otherwise, we'd love for kids to be present with us as we gather. 
Um, and these past few weeks, uh, we, we have. We've seen the joy of, of kids and, um, and, and seeing new life born. And, and what I love about, uh, about uh, the local church is you get to see it in the totality of life. And so we've used this rope, this black part, just being kind of the, the life we live on this earth. But in comparison, uh, eternity is, is what we are after. And so uh, just recently, um, John and Jen Kostich said goodbye to John's mom. Uh, Hank and Julie Christensen said goodbye to Hank's mom. Jeff and Camille Klan said goodbye to Jeff's mom. And, uh, and then just on Wednesday, uh, Carol Vandrosik uh, met her Savior face to face. And so no more tears, no more pain. Carol Vandrosik was one of our admins around here for, for a few years and went off to Arizona, recently came back, and she, uh, she was a delight. I got to be with her Monday uh, before she maybe took a turn and just to hear her confidence and her joy uh, and, and her desire to meet Jesus face to face. And so we, we long for that reality. It's a, it's a dark door, and yet we're confident uh, we get to, to meet our Savior, and that is why we do all that we do around here. And, uh, and it is what we've been seeing in Luke. And so uh, with Luke, uh, there are a few times uh, where we've seen Jesus gather and people have been responding. This Christmas season has been us looking at these different stories. And so we saw, we saw in a parable the persistent widow modeling for us a posture of hope. And, and the dawn of a new hope of hoping in this eternity. We saw through the rich young ruler a lack of peace, which then leads us to desire a dawn of a peace and the confidence of who God is and the peace that it could bring in our lives. And last week we looked at the blind beggar who received sight. He was blind and yet he could see. He could see Jesus for who he was and then went away praising God and following him. There was this dawn of a new peace. And so we've been looking at these different stories in Luke this morning. We're going to see this dawn of a new love in a guy. And, uh, and Jesus, in a few places, describes why he came and how he came. In Mark, we see that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And then in Luke 7, Luke tells us how he came. He came eating and drinking, so much so that people called our Lord and Savior a drunkard and a glutton because he was enjoying hospitality so much. And so we did a few of these family-style gatherings where we invited the kids in to celebrate the, the reality of who Jesus is and, and have a family-style gathering where we looked at those moments where Jesus ate and drank with people but this morning, we're going to see the third time one of the gospel writers references to in Luke why the Son of Man came. He came to seek and save the lost. And so we're going to look at a life that was transformed as Jesus sought after him. And, uh, and that life is a guy named Zacchaeus. And so we're going to sing collectively, because if you grew up in any faith community, there was a song that just bubbled up in your heart in this moment. So we're just going to get that out of the way real quick. And if you haven't grown up in a faith community, you're going to be like, who are these people and where am I right now? But Zacchaeus, what was he? Man, was he 
Climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Oh, there you go. Oh, man, so good, so good. What was the next line? Nice, Renee. Renee's going to stand up and lead us all as we're going to put the lyrics on. So, there you go. <laughs> which is another classic. Which is another classic. Do you guys know that one? That is another classic. And, and so, I hope uh, for you that warmed your heart and you can get that out of the way. And if you didn't grow up in a faith community and you were like, who are these people that I'm hanging with right now? <laughs> we're on the journey together. So, seek and save the lost. And we're going to see that through this man's life, Zacchaeus. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and Luke recounts the story of a lost life radically transformed when seeing Jesus for who he is. And then he's going to turn and give us one last parable about seeing faithfulness rewarded. So Jesus is going to tell us this story. Luke's going to record the story of Zacchaeus and his life being changed. And then he's going to impart one last parable to us. So pray with me as we, uh, as we continue and, uh, and long to, to share this story. Uh, Telling it on a mountain. Ugh, Jesus, you're so kind to us. Thank you for what you're doing in our life. Uh, thank you for the, uh, the joy of no more tears, no more pain that Carol is now rejoicing in. And, and we long to see that transformation in Zacchaeus' life through the story as, as it may be taking place in ours. So reveal yourself. Uh, we pray always for your glory and the joy in this journey. Amen. Amen. So... We're going to see this transformation. We're just going to walk through the text. And, and where we start is Jesus is the one doing the seeking. Jesus is actually the one pursuing with intentionality. And he finds the one he seeks. And he brings life. Here's, here's how Luke records it. And again, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So, so we'll pause here for a second because... This is a, the kind of the big crescendo before he goes to Jerusalem. And one commentator did a, did a great job of showing that thread throughout Luke. Because have we seen Jesus demonstrating that reality throughout Luke? We saw it in Luke 5, Luke 15, and now again in Luke 19. And wouldn't you know it, there is a pattern that a great writer like Luke continues to chip away every time throughout the book. He does five key things in every one of these interactions. And so when he calls Levi the tax collector, that there is certain elements Luke draws out. And then in Luke 15, he does the same thing when he talks about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost prodigal son, and the older brother. And then he does the same thing here in and with Zacchaeus. Now, again, None of you guys can read that. I understand that. That is not lost on me. You in the back think you have the best seats. It's really you guys up in the front so you can see when I put things in 24 font. But don't worry that you can't see it. I'm going to read it. And it is available later on. Jack puts the sermon points on the online. And so you can get it later. But we're just going to walk through. There's five consistent things that Luke has been doing in all of these as he shows us why Jesus came. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And so we see in the call of Levi, Jesus' hospitality with tax collectors and sinners. And what do the Jewish leaders do? They mutter. They grumble against him pursuing those far from him. And then what does Jesus do? 
He defends his rationale and do it. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then each story always culminates in the salvation of those far from Jesus. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to the repentance. And then we see Levi turn and follow him. He leaves everything. And so there's an implied repentance and rejoicing in Levi's turning. In the parable of the lost sheep, coin, and son, same thing. Jesus pursues and sits and eats with sinners and tax collectors. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. But what do the Jewish leaders do again? They grumble. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled. But Jesus again defends why he is doing this. He came to seek and save the lost. And so he tells a story of a lost coin that was sought after. A lost sheep leaves the 99 to get the one and then the lost son. And then the salvation comes to the lost. Most precisely here with the older, with the younger son. For this was my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. There was a transformation that took place in the son's life. And then what takes place after the lost is found? There's rejoicing. In verse 5, 6, 7, 9, 10, and 32, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. What do you think is going to happen in the story of Zacchaeus? We're going to see those same five movements. Luke has been building, and now we see another story of those same movements of Jesus who is seeking and saving the lost. So in the story of Zacchaeus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Have we seen a chief tax collector thus far in Luke? No, this is the first one. Have we heard of other tax collectors? Yes. And so now is Luke making a point? This, is a, this guy is the chief tax collector. And then what's the other detail he includes? He's rich. Now, what did we just learn about the rich just a couple weeks ago? It's really hard. Thank you, Tom. Hey, a nice sweater, by the way. That's a nice, hopefully you got a nice little picture. It's hard. This is the chief tax collector, the sinners, and no one likes these guys. And, and he's rich. And it's really hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven is what he said. He became very sad. The rich young ruler walked away sad. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so Luke, the great storyteller, is building this. What would we be feeling as we think of Zacchaeus? He is far from Jesus. It's going to be impossible. This is a cheap tax collector. There's no way he is going to be the one that changes. And yet what we learned, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What happens in Zacchaeus' life? And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And so what does Zacchaeus do? He ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree, seeking to see Jesus, doing what he could to make it as advantageous as possible so that he could see Jesus. But then something interesting happens. Instead of Zacchaeus being the one seeking Jesus exclusively, what do we learn? When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. You're not simply a name on a passport. 
You're not simply a, a driver's license number. You're not simply a social security number. You were a name that Jesus knows intimately, and he came to seek and save the lost. He knows Zacchaeus by name. He knows us by name. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. The joy of what it means that Jesus knew him and now he's coming to his house. And, and, and what is transpiring in his heart now, what do you think is going to happen next? Someone grumbles. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The perception of what Jesus is doing is so antithetical to how they perceive the Messiah is supposed to arrive and who this guy is and what he's doing. How can he be doing this? Can't associate with those people. And yet Jesus continually came to seek and save the lost. And then we see a beautiful transformation. What happens? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now the challenge that will be going through our heads if we're, if we're listening, well, that seems strange. So, so he gives of his resources, and then what does Jesus tell him? And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to the house, since it also is a son of Abraham. So is Jesus rewarding faith based upon what the guy did because the guy gave therefore jesus granted faith is that is that what he's saying because if so if that's the thing then i'm going to tell our elders like man jesus is saying it and i think our budget would go up if i started preaching that way right man your faith is contingent upon uh, x amount of given but that's not what it is why not Because Luke understands, as we've been reading, it has always started with belief and a recognition of who Jesus is that then leads to the action. And Zacchaeus gives of his resources based upon now seeing Jesus clearly. And then there's an interesting phrase, since he also is a son of Abraham. Isn't Zacchaeus a Jew? Isn't he already a son of Abraham by ethnicity? And yet Jesus seems to be saying something different. What's he saying? It's not about your familiarity. It's not about your heritage. It's not about your proximity. Instead, it is about your faith and seeing Jesus for who he is that makes you a son of Abraham. We see that clearly in John. Jesus says this. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. What did Abraham do? He simply expressed his faith with his resources, with its time, treasure, talent. And so Luke has been hitting this thread over and over and over. In Luke 5, we see the call of Levi. In Luke 15, we see the parable. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And then in Luke 19, we see this big culmination, the guy you wouldn't anticipate. The chief tax collector, the sinner of sinners, the rich. And yet, what does God do in his life? He was lost and now he's found. Does anybody remember what just happened before Luke 5 and the calling of Levi? Does anybody remember back to that? It was like forever ago. Anybody remember? Yeah. Jesus takes Peter out on a boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, 
Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Peter says what? Jesus, there are no fish here. There's no fish. We know what we're doing. And Jesus, let's just tell you, there are no fish. Sometimes it feels like when we think about our lives, I hear you tell me, David, there are no fish in Dane County. There's, this is a godless kid. There's no fish here. There's no fish. And yet, what does Jesus tell Peter? Let down your nets. And we see throughout all of Luke, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And Zacchaeus is the guy that has his life radically changed. Because Jesus has been calling these guys, join me on my mission. And so what does he tell us? Let down your nets. Because there's guys like Zacchaeus that live in and around us that are longing to see Jesus. And how are they going to see him? Through us. And so it becomes this journey. It's no longer about evangelism, of praying a prayer and saying the right words and having a stamp of approval. Rather, it's through this grid of relationship. Through this grid of moving through our lives and the people that God is bringing into our lives. And yes, there is a moment of belief. Jesus encountered Zacchaeus and was there a moment? Zacchaeus saw him and his life was changed and then he had an action. But for us, we're saying, you know, there was a story before that where the people we hang with and we're building trust and sparking curiosity that move towards belief and then it doesn't just stop there. All of a sudden, hey, I prayed a prayer, I'm good. No, there's actually an ongoing journey that we continue on. This ongoing movement of growing more in who Jesus is. So in Luke 5, what does he say? Let down your nets. And as he's built his gospel, what did he say now? This is why Jesus came. Throughout the entire gospel, we have seen Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. And so when we think of our lives, joining Jesus and what he's doing in the Zacchaeus around us, we've talked about this social and spiritual continuum where there's people that we have in all layers of our life. But here's a conviction, prayer, prayer is the work. Am I yelling at you guys? Are you guys with me? Getting a little too crazy this morning. Should I slow down just a little bit? I feel my blood pressure starting to rise a little bit. So we went to Minnesota. Just, uh, just yesterday, we were there for, uh, for Casey's family. My family, her extended family, live in Minnesota. So we drove there Friday night. And, uh, and, and we arrived. And, uh, and, and you could imagine. Maybe you guys have gotten to know me a little bit. You can imagine. So we arrived, and their first, our, our, her family's first response was, huh, there's a lot of kids. <laughs> just the energy level just significantly increased. And then the joy for me, I, do you guys enjoy this too? When there's a room of people, because I don't really know her extended family as well, and so I love getting to know them. And so, so there's a barrage of questions that might be fired their way. A- anyway, that had nothing to do with anything that we're talking about. It just struck me in the moment. <laughs> Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And there are people in our lives in this journey, in our, in our public life, where we are sparking curiosity. They're the people that we see when we go to Hy-Vee to pick up sushi at 6 o'clock at night, 
right? The, the people in our public life, the places we go to more frequently. And then we have social spaces, these friends that we're cultivating relationships with. Uh, there's a higher probability that we're going to grow a relationship if you come to basketball at 6 a.m. on a Thursday, right? There's a shared affinity for basketball, right? The, the love for basket weaving might not be the one where you'll see me at, right? I mean, it might be where you'll be at, but that might not be where my social space is. But there's always the movement then to a personal space. The desire to sit across the dinner table and actually share more meaningful conversations always always with an eye on communion with God. Can you think of the people that are in your life in this journey? Uh, On your pray watch list? Can you think of the person that actually invited you to see Jesus? Can you think back to the person that was pivotal in your life in helping you see and savor our Messiah? Just want to pause for 10 seconds. You think of that person? And the impact they had on your life, that they joined Jesus in his mission and they saw you and knew you by name. Jesus, thank you for these people in our life. Thank you for the work that you used as they sought the lost and helped us see you. Thank you for the work through them. Amen. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. All through Luke, he's been telling us that. Let down your nets. There are people like Zacchaeus that when they see him, their lives are radically changed. And around here, we actually want to resource that. We we long, we just launched the Everyday Missionary Fund. If there is an idea that is sparking in your heart on how you join Jesus and what he's doing, we, we love that our global missionaries share this heart. How might we locally embody that more fully? And so I would encourage you, apply. Is there a way that you would want to use your time, your treasure, your talent to join Jesus in what he's doing? Because we see it all over Luke. Luke has been building. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But then he turns towards a parable. He talks about this radical change in Zacchaeus' life. And then he's going to start telling a parable. What parable is he going to tell? Thus far in Zacchaeus' story, what have we heard emphasized? That belief leads to feeling, leads to action. What has been emphasized thus far in Zacchaeus' story? Actions. And we believe those actions were stemming from a belief, but what does he emphasize? Zacchaeus gives away half that he has. There is an action that is produced from what he believes. Now, where have we seen that connected to maybe this belief? John the Baptist told us that earlier in Luke. He said, therefore, to the crowds, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. If your life has been changed, you will bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. 
And then he gives a warning even then, every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Whatever resources you have, like Zacchaeus, that should be expressed in your life. With your time, with your treasure, with your talent. I don't believe I have a higher calling. I love that you guys allow me to be a pastor, but I love the jobs you guys go to every single day. Where do we see that? Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, stop being a tax collector. Does he say that? No. He affirms their vocation. He affirms what they do, but he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus came to seek and save the lost as you live your vocations out demonstrate your passion is for the kingdom. Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Live in a way that reflects you believe your hope is in Christ. And to the soldiers, he doesn't say stop being a soldier. What does he say? Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. Your jobs matter. The way you live your life and the way you go to your places of work matter a ton as a reflection of what you believe. Because what's the parable he's going to tell us now after Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus' life is changed, and he reflects that in action. The very next parable he's going to tell us is a sobering look at how we then live out our beliefs. How we use the resources God has given us tells us a ton about our faith and what we believe about the return of his kingdom. The way we use our time, treasure, talent, says a lot about what we believe. You guys ready for a parable? Let's do it. And, and, and see the direct correlation from Zacchaeus to this parable. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And Why? This is, this is it. They're moving to Jerusalem. We are landing the plane. Jesus is now headed to the cross. And so he tells them because they're near Jerusalem, but why? And because they suppose that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Zacchaeus has this radical transformation. And how we use the resources God has given us tells us a ton about our faith and what we believe about the return of his kingdom. That actions matter. What you do matters about what you believe. With our time, with our treasure, with our talent. So he tells a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So they had a sense. They had a sense that the Messiah had arrived and then he would usher in a new age. Jesus is going to try and say, you're missing it a little bit. I'm going to come and arrive, and I'm going to usher in a kingdom. But then I'm going to go away, and I'm going to entrust you guys with resources to use to seek and save the lost. And the way you use your resources to seek and save the lost says a lot about what you believe about me. And then I'm going to come back. And the way you use your resources now says a lot about what you believe about my return. Here's what he says. 
A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Who's the nobleman? Jesus. So Jesus says, I've come into a far country. What's the far country? Here. (laughs) A nobleman went into a far country to receive himself a kingdom, and then he was going to go away for a period of time. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That God became man and dwelt among us and didn't just come and hang out, but he came to seek and save the lost and bring sinners like Zacchaeus to repentance to change the way they live, to usher in a kingdom. Now is that kingdom fully present now? It's in people's hearts and lives in the way they reflect what they believe. They thought it was coming immediately. Jesus says, I've come And then I'm going to return later. He said, therefore, a noble went into a far country to receive himself a kingdom and then returned. And calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business till I come. Engage in business till I come. What's he saying? If you believe in who I am, it's going to get reflected. You know that guy Zacchaeus we just saw? It's going to get reflected in your time, your treasure, your talent. Don't primarily think about it as money. Don't primarily think about it as money. Think about it as relationships. We see the grid. We always see the grid through relationships. In the relationships God has brought into our life, right? From the public, the social, the personal. Think about it through the way we're allocating resources in lives being invited into the kingdom. And so he entrusted us with certain resources to reflect our view. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. What's he saying? There's going to be some on this earth that don't want King Jesus to reign in their life. They don't want him to sit on the throne of their heart. They they do not want, oh man, am I yelling at you guys again? We okay? Okay. Man, I stink and love you guys, right? It's an unreal privilege that you guys allow us pastors to do this. Now, I, I, uh, I, say, it, I say it often, and, and I hope it never grows old. You guys pay me to do this. What an unreal gift. His citizens hated him. You look around the world and see people who do not want King Jesus to sit on the throne of their hearts? Is that true? Man, and yet the cry for us is, Jesus, we want you to sit on the throne of our hearts like Zacchaeus. We've had this transformation. And then Zacchaeus expresses it in action, and Jesus tells this parable. We do not want this man to reign over us. And so then Jesus gives us three people, three people that he's going he's gonna to evaluate, two positive, one negative. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Jesus promises he is going to return someday and take an account for how people lived their life. The nobleman returns to take an account. We believe that King Jesus is going to return. And so just a pause on that, right? Because we currently live in this physical, temporal state that is this black end of the rope, believing it goes on in perpetuity, right? In eternity, that we're born. And there comes a point where we, like Zacchaeus, have our eyes open and we're radically changed. And that becomes 
though in temporal black part of the rope life, enter this eternal life. And then for some, while in this life, they reach the black end of the rope before King Jesus returns and experience physical death. And it's a painful door. Right? Absent with the body, present with the Lord. The thief on the cross, Jesus turns and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so, like Carol, some of us come to the end of our rope before King Jesus returns and we cry out for the conviction. We trusted you in this life. And then there is coming a day where that intermediate state that we exist in will come to an end and King Jesus does return for the resurrection of the dead and judgment. That is this nobleman's return. That's what he's referencing. And so what is he saying about the way we live our life? He expects us to use resources, time, treasures, and talents he's given us to join him in seeking and saving the lost. Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. Join me in what I'm doing. And so he returns and gives an indication in this parable, three people that he comes to check in on. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Three people, two positive and, and one not so positive. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas more. The other came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. That he didn't use those resources or she didn't use those resources that they were entrusted with. And then they have words in response. For I was afraid of you because you were a severe man. But then he responds to the other two positively. Here's what he said. And he said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And so faithful in much and then rewarded to the second. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. And then for that one, the response is, I was afraid of you because you were a severe man, not seeing the noble man for who he is. For I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Now, how does Jesus respond? And, and the theological question we're asking right now is, so that person had some level of familiarity, right? They were given a mina from the nobleman to use. So is this person st still entering the kingdom or is there a different response for this person? So don't answer aloud, but ask that question as we read how Jesus interacts. What's, what's the state of this person who was entrusted with one and does nothing with it. For I was afraid of you because you were a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. A, a lack of awareness of relationship with the nobleman. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew what I was, you knew according to your logic. He didn't have to jump through hoops according to your logic. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. 
So what is the state of that person's heart? They were given a minor. There was some level of relationship. And yet now what seems to be the end. Jesus seems to reveal the hearts of those who, though familiar with him, prove to be unfaithful. Coming on the heels of the transformation of Zacchaeus, he tells this parable. Zacchaeus has a transformation and actions flow. He now goes to actions with our time, with our treasure, with our talent to reflect how we use our resources. Tells us a ton about what we believe. And then he said to those, sorry, next one. And then he said to those who stood by, and this is interesting. Because you go, I thought Jesus was all about equality and fairness. So don't press this too far. We're just going to read it. And maybe you could discuss it with some friends later. And when he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10. Man, that seems unfair. And in the parable, he verbalizes that unfairness. And they said to him, Lord, he already has 10 minas. Why are you taking from the one guy and giving it to the guy who already has 10? What does Jesus' logic say? He says this. I tell you that everyone who has more, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That in this life, as we leverage our resources, don't press it too far. Do, do not, if you, if you happen to watch televangelists and they ask for seed money, do not give them any seed money. Do not send any dollars to them believing they're going to have that money multiply and send back to you. But there is something that he says. God wants to flourish the way you are using your time, treasure, and talent for the sake of the kingdom. And then it ends with a harsh warning. He says, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. There is this heaviness that comes when King Jesus returns. And there is something waiting for those in how they use their resources. And even the person who had one, who had some level of familiarity to even receive one, somehow that was taken away. So for us around here, we long to look through this grid of relationships. Jesus came to seek and save the lost and to help people follow him as disciples. So what is a disciple around here for us? It's through those three lenses. Following Jesus in a relationship with him that then inevitably develops a heart for those that also long to follow him. But did Jesus say, I'm going to come so I could hang on to this myself? What did he say? came to seek and save the lost. And so we have a heart to seek transformation. That for us is this grid of what it means to use our time, our treasure, our talent for inviting more people to find life with Christ. But what happens if, if it's simply an intellectual familiarity with not much action flowing from that? We think that wouldn't be a complete picture of a disciple. Or what about maybe if it's People that are enjoying loving one another. That's a positive thing. We think there is a missing ingredient. But sometimes, maybe you have these people. Maybe you are this person. You, you become like this, man, stinking Christians. They're just slow. They just can't figure it out. I'm just going to go do it on my own. I'm done working through people. I'm done working with people. I'm just going to go do it. That also doesn't feel like the posture that Jesus is calling us to, to go be lone rangers. Instead, it is those three. 
But what about just social good? Isn't that positive? Like Zacchaeus paid back all those he defrauded. Wasn't that positive? I mean, does he really need to see Jesus for that? He could just give money. And yet that limitation without the following Jesus component, again, isn't the holistic picture of what we're after. It is those three. So we live with Monday in mind. Is that true? Monday matters. And so what will tomorrow hold as we continue to move with that transformation that's taking place in our life? We look and we say, what has Jesus done in our lives? You're not just a number. (laughs) The dignity of human life. Every life has dignity. (laughs) Feels like we're blurring the lines of what humanity and humanness is right now. And we're we're almost giving up on the fringes of those that would be human. Jesus knows people by name. We care deeply about life. And he loves us and goes to our home. He takes the initiative. And he changes us. Everything about us is about him. And how might we climb that sycamore tree? Jane, you got any suggestions? I think what we're doing right now is an expression of that. Every single week we gather collectively to do the same four simple rhythms. There's nothing glamorous necessarily about what we do. And yet it's us longing to see Jesus collectively. And so we gather to worship and express that we treasure Jesus above all else. And we actively build community. For me, if in 2024 you're looking for a step, I would encourage you. The value of life groups around here is a way to build community as, a, as an element. Not the exclusive element, but as an element you might take in 2024 as a way to seek and climb that sycamore tree. And then, where the text seemed to lead us today, we often examine our resources. Casey and I, not by rule, but often, we do a, a Friday meeting. Have I told you guys about this? Casey's not here. I don't know if she'd want me sharing this, but I'll share it. It's journey of life. I can hear later when one of you tell her, hey, did you hear what David said? You guys know what we do on Fridays? We do a, we do a faith, family, and finances meeting. And the fun is absolutely implied. Maybe not from her vantage point, but from my vantage point, the fun is implied. We examine our resources. Because we want to believe it's all his. It's all his. And he expects us to use our resources to promote his gospel. Collectively, you're going to hear more about that on Vision Sunday, the first Sunday of the year, where we're going to to develop a little bit more. What does it mean for us collectively to use our resources for the sake of Dane County? And then Jesus grants us more resources and influence, and we use what we have faithfully. Don't press that too far. And yet, Does he bring more people into our lives where we could invest in to seek and save the lost? And not using the resources God has given us reveals we don't really belong to him. It is a sobering, sobering reality. I'm going to invite the worship team up as we continue in worship and we continue to proclaim this reality. We use the resources Jesus has given us to promote his gospel because nothing brings us greater joy. Zacchaeus... (laughs) when he came to recognize who Jesus was, began using every one of his resources in this black part of the tape for the eternity waiting. We too, like Zacchaeus, become all about the kingdom with our time, with our treasure, with our talent. Pray with me as we continue in worship. Jesus, you are so kind. 
how you continue to draw us to yourself. This radical transformation that takes place. You love us. You know us. And then we join you to seek and save those who have yet to find life in your name. Help us continue to experience more and more of you as we anticipate Christmas. Always for your glory.